As always, hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. This week is jam-packed. We have we have to make some sort of sense of that defeat to Spurs by breaking down Sarri's lack of a plan B, the horrid defending, and the midfield conundrum, along with our match previews for the upcoming PAOK and full of matches. The return of Ranieri looms, boys. But first, before we get into any of it, I have to introduce my two co-hosts. First off, Andres Velasco. How you doing, man? I am so glad to be back recording with you guys. Sadly, we're not too happy, and obviously the content will show, but glad to be back on the show with you guys. And uh, Mr. Sambagarzade, one of the Roman's Empire originals. How you doing, man? Uh, just a little bit hurt for being one of the originals and you uh, announcing Andreas before me, but you know I, I'm okay <laughs> with that. I, I kind of I respect your decision just you know because I'm honored to be on a podcast with you know a very famous TV pundit like yourself. Hey, um, you know I mean you're just your 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 celebrity status rose incredibly from no one to kind of still no one over the weekend, right? You, know, you want to talk a little bit about what happened this weekend, Zach? Yeah. So uh, first off, shout out to uh, Adam Jeremy um, and especially Sujin. From the LA Chelsea Blues. Shout so, Sujin. Uh, Sujin texted me and said, uh, basically, do you, are you by a computer and do you want to be on TV? And I was like, uh, <laughs> sure. So she connected me with this guy, Adam, and uh, he got me on the Premier League Fan Zone show on uh, NBC Sports Gold. So I got to uh, make a little appearance via Skype and answer a few questions um, about the Chelsea Tottenham match. I just, I just wish that we won. <laughs> because I was, I was, I was excited to be on. It was the weirdest feeling because I found out like about five minutes into the game, so right before Dele Alli's goal, and uh, when he scored, I was pissed off, but at the same time, I was excited because I'm about to be on TV, like right after the game was over. Um, so I, I was kind of caught in two minds. I was very disappointed, but excited. And then when I finally got on TV, I was struggling with, I was struggling with not trying to smile just because, uh, I mean, I'm on TV, man. Why wouldn't I smile? But, um, yeah, nonetheless, it was, it, it was an awesome experience. And, uh, hopefully I could get one of you guys on in the near future. I mean, that's, that's, uh, the ultimate goals for all three of us and, to be and, TV superstars. <laughs> and to think that you already hate Spurs as much as it is. And then to add on top of that, they spoil your first ever game at the Stanford bridge and on top of that, they spoil your first ever appearance on television. So, <laughs> moral of the yeah, story. Yeah, you had to point that first. one out, huh? Yeah, yeah. moral of the story. Uh, Beat him while he's down. <laughs> all this, all this 3-1 to Spurs bullshit in the last couple months has just been... Uh, I, also wish, I also really wish that this was the week that I wasn't on the show because I, I really don't want to revisit this match, but... You know, as as we always do, we have to. Um, so let's let's just jump into it so we can get it over with. Uh, I want to obviously final score, uh, Chelsea one, Spurs three. Um, kind of want to talk start off by talking about the midfield because this has been something that we've been discussing for a while, and I think that this was the kind of the game that really solidified our worries about um, not really having a plan B and you know just not really knowing what our best 11 is right now um, and what whether, whether each player is really playing in their best possible position. So I, I kind of want to start off with Jorginho um, first because uh, he, he was exploited a lot um, just with his lack of ability to switch. And he, he is definitely not one of the premier uh, ball players. Uh, ball dispossessors you know as opposed to a guy like N'Golo Conte who's probably one of the best in the world at that ball dispossessors I couldn't think of the right word but <laughs> I think I think that's good enough uh, I think that is a I think everyone gets what I'm saying but um Zach what what did you have to say about Jorginho's performance um we we talked about it uh over text during the match and um, it, it's that midfield diamond. I think teams are starting to figure out how to neutralize Chelsea, and it's not for once. It's not by uh, neutralizing Eden Hazard. It, it's it's cutting off the supply line, and that's Jorginho. So 
Um, the way Spurs lined up was like a 4-3-2-1, almost like a Christmas tree formation with this diamond formed right around uh, right around Jorginho. And, you know, Harry Kane and Dele Alli did a, as much as I, it pains me to say it, I mean, they did a great job um, blocking off Jorginho and, and, and not allowing him to get on the ball um, when we were in possession. And we talked about it during the Everton game as well. When Jorginho doesn't get on the ball, Chelsea doesn't tick. It's that simple. I mean, we're very one-dimensional in that sense. Even though we're a possession-based team, um, when Jorginho is not the one pulling the strings, we seem to struggle um, in terms of creativity and just in, in, in fluidity um, in the attacking third. So um, Spurs basically got the uh, the game plan spot on and they executed it uh, really well, which unfortunately was uh, to our peril because we conceded two early goals. Andreas? Andreas? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your um, thoughts on Jorginho? Yeah, Zach covered it pretty well. I don't think Jorginho did anything wrong. There was just not much to do when you're double and tripled. Like, he couldn't turn left. He couldn't turn right. All he could do is go right back to David Luiz and Rudiger. And when he would do that, then Spurs had, like, Kane, Son, Dele Alli, and Eric Dyer all busting through the lines and pressuring our back line. It was, it was a crazy, in a positive way for Spurs and a negative for us tactic that Pochettino drew up. And and Sarri even admitted that he was not prepared for that sort of formation versus Spurs. So um, sadly, like Zach said, it sucks to give props to Spurs, but they they played it right. You know, something something I noticed uh, and the reason why they were playing around us so much in that midfield, I mean, they had so much space in between the lines. And I guess there's like no better example than Harry Kane's goal where he just kind of spun uh, right in between the midfield and the defense and, and popped that shot off. And Golo Kante and, and Kovacic, uh, their press was getting broken almost effortlessly in the first about 15 or 20 minutes of the game. I thought Kovacic's performance was poor all the way around. Um, I, I think he only made one or two tackles the whole entire match. And N'Golo Conte made seven interceptions. He was one of the only bright spots on the pitch. Um, but still, it was just just the fact that Jorginho didn't have any cover in front of him basically put him in the middle of this Tottenham tr- midfield triangle where they were just passing around him without any without any issue whatsoever. And that just completely screwed up our game plan. Yeah, I want to say like the – what we were supposed to do, which is pass our way out of pressure, Tottenham was able to do too. And again, it sucks to say that Tottenham played so well. Like as much as I want to say like, oh, this was just Chelsea having a bad game. Like on the other end, like they just played very well. And also, you know, Tottenham is a good side. I mean, I'm trying to make sense and comfort of this match. Obviously, Tottenham is a good side. They're shit, but they are a good side. Um, they've been, you know, far further along with, you know, with, with, with time with, with their manager as, as opposed to us, you know, just still amongst the first season of establishing this new system. Um, so we, we knew this was a work in progress. Somehow the work in progress was able to remain undefeated for so long, but, um, I know that the longest in Europe, right. Uh, which was a shock to all of us, but, you know, I think after this week, it's a great opportunity for us to bounce back and really get back into form against um, two not very strong opponents. But um, I ha- we got a question from at OG Post route. Um, he Slowly asked, becoming a Roman's Empire super fan. Yeah, I, th- I think route. I think he we can officially declare him as a super fan. So congratulations, <laughs> OG Post. Hey, You're up hey, there with Nick hey, Leonardson hey. and Chelsea Eric. Yeah, Chelsea Eric. Uh, so he asks. Do you do you think that Conte moving back to his natural position is a reasonable option? And if so, could Jorginho be effective on the sides, or would he have to be on the bench if Conte takes that uh, center defensive mid role again? Um, Zach, I, I, Andreas, I know I started with Zach with the last question, but I, I do want to start off with Zach because uh, during his his uh, interview on live TV. Obviously, the nerves of being on TV for the first time. He took a pretty strong, took a pretty strong position, uh, which of saying that Conte should be moving back uh, to his his more dominant role. But I don't think that you were, had the opportunity to really fully explain what you meant by that, Zach. So I kind of I'd like you to take this time to uh, expand on what you really meant by that. 
So Sarri's system doesn't necessarily have a center defensive midfield position. Um, the center defensive mid position is where Jorginho is playing, and that's sort of, sort of that um, midfield maestro where he just kind of pulls the strings and, and keeps the uh, flow of play going. But, you know, the last two matches, teams have seemed to to halt our, our, uh, our offensive flow, I guess you could say. Um, and they're also able to break through the lines and create chances. So I think the best way to do that, and, and as I was saying in the interview, was to play N'Golo Conte as a defensive midfielder. Now, that doesn't mean taking Jorginho and pushing him higher up the pitch because, one, he doesn't have the legs to do that, and, two, that's not utilizing Jorginho to his fullest capability. I think maybe instead of playing with one holding midfielder and uh, two midfielders and, and two number eights in front of him, I think we should be playing with two holding mids and uh, one number eight just ahead of uh, N'Golo Conte and Jorginho. That way, I mean, we've seen N'Golo Conte play in a midfield pivot before with uh, obviously under Antonio Conte and, and and what he was able to do with Nemanja Matic winning the Premier League. He's very familiar with that position and with that role. He's able to cover ground on one side effortlessly while covering for the other side as well. Um, and, and I just think maybe that little subtle switch could possibly be a solution for now just to kind of stop the bleeding until we get uh, until we get some our results back on track. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Sari is going to do what Sari does. Um, at Napoli, he didn't really change his formation around much, and um, uh, until this team starts to get fully wedded to the system and, and gains a full understanding of the system, um, we're going to keep having these defensive issues. Um, it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's part of the growing process as this team. I mean, you look back um, in in Pep's first year, he had defensive issues as well. Um, that's why they went out and bought Emmerich Laporte and, um, and, and, and dropped Otamendi because ultimately Otamendi shit. But I mean, you guys get the point. It's, it's a work in progress and it takes time. So it's nothing to necessarily freak out about, but if it's up to me, I mean, I think I, I wouldn't mind seeing N'Golo Conte playing a double pivot. You know, it's interesting, uh, because I, I kind of saw this, like this is Sari's version of the three O defeat that Conte, uh, you know, used as a catalyst to start changing both the system and the team around um, Andreas. I just wanted to get your your take. Do you think that Sari is going to stick with the Sari ball and you know stay stubborn in, in in this kind of formation, or do you see him changing things around a little bit? I mean, I think he kind of has to. I think yes, you have to play uh, Jorginho as a regista, but that doesn't mean he has to be the one guy in front of the defense, like Zach alluded to, like maybe getting Conte beside him. Um, one thing that really frustrates me is when people think that formation and tactics go hand in hand in hand. Um, like you guys mentioned, Pep struggles and all that. Pep changed formations like every single week and uh, his first season, but he was playing his style of football every single week regardless. So I don't see how moving content to a slightly more like defensive role rather than having him gun at the lines could impact us in possession that much i do get that his like pressure up top is is crucial to the current system but at the same time against these bigger teams like once you nullify Jorginho and his direct pathway to getting the ball to kovacic and hazard he's clueless and again that's just coming down to adapting tactically to what the other side is doing and the Premier League and the Italian League are a little different in that, that the Italian League likes to do those little like low low blocks and, you know, five in the back and things like that to where they invite the pressure. Well, that doesn't happen much in the Premier League. So I really hope that this is Sarri's Arsenal 3-0 defeat game where he makes a couple changes or just something where, okay, Jorginho's getting blocked out. Here's what we're going to do. So it's either a change in the formation or – okay, guys, we now see this all the time. Here's what we have to do when you see this kind of pressure around Jorginho in the middle of the pitch. And, you know, the difference between uh, the Conte and this game was that, you know, Conte made the change at halftime. Um, and, you know, in this game, there really wasn't any change and absolutely no response from the team. Um, just continuing to play slow and lethargic, just a really, really uninspiring performance. No obvious plan B for uh, 
uh, for Sari in this match. Zach, uh, what you have to what you have to say about the second half and what you saw? Uh, there was, like you said, I mean, there's just no response, and it's not something that's uh, synonymous with you know Chelsea sides in recent history. Um, usually, we're a team that thrives uh, against adversity and. I mean, obviously here it just wasn't going our way. We we just completely weren't up for the game from the off. So I don't see how I didn't I actually didn't see any visual changes even in the second half um, from the way we played. I mean, the real only the, the only real changes that we saw that were positive was the three substitutions. Um, you know, uh, we we brought on Pedro for Morata. Hazard actually played the false nine for a little while, but um it didn't necessarily come off but i thought pedro looked uh l- like a real bright spot ross barkley came in and made an immediate impact obviously Giroud got the goal it's it's just it's just frustrating for me because andres touched upon it you know all all the all of the great premier league teams can play multiple ways and, and they're and they're very versatile um even in our title winning season you know we were able to play with Hazard as a as a false nine at times and 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 we were Hazard was able to tuck in and and Pedro was almost able to play as a second forward next to Diego Costa and you know you look at Man City they line up with a different formation every week and you look at teams like uh I mean I mean you name it look look at Arsenal um constantly changing their formation constantly changing their personnel for that specific matchup and they're getting results and it just seems like everyone else around us is getting results with these changes except us. You know, we're not really changing our formation. The team basically picks itself at this point. Um, you know, we saw Ross Barkley come into the team for a little while and not really lock down his his, his starting spot. Um, I think he should have started this game. I think Pedro is a lock for every game um, from here on out. He's just too good for this system to be coming off the bench. Murata was awful. Um, I thought Again. Hazard could have done a little bit more. It's just, I mean, you look all over the field and, and and you see, you know, things that we could improve on. But the lack of a plan B is definitely worrisome for me because, you know, again, Sari hasn't won any silverware. And when you compare him to a lot of the managers in the Premier League, um, you know, the Jose Mourinho's, the Pep Guardiola's, the Unai Emery's, I mean, those guys have won things before. They know what it takes to win titles. And that means adapting their system and sometimes swallowing their pride and and being a bit pragmatic or um, or, or or benching a, a a star player for someone else that'll tactically suit that particular match. And you know, I, I, th- these are the types of things I feel like this is Sari's real test because if he can't adapt to the Premier League by making those little tweaks to his four three three Sarismo style of football, um, he's not going to succeed. And uh, I just think it's that simple. I think it's a really crucial time, and I'm really interested to see what changes he makes heading into Fulham and even the PA, even the PAOK match to see what um, what works and what doesn't uh, heading into the future. Yeah, I mean, yeah, um, like you said, I really don't understand why William had to start again. So here, here are the few things that I, I'm thinking of. You're coming off an international break. Here we go, Pedro. <laughs> So Pedro doesn't play in Spain. He's rested. Why the hell is he not starting at the right wing versus William, who obviously traveled to the Brazil squad? Um, first half, Alvaro Morata, Christ almighty. At, at this point, I don't even know what to say. Bring in Giroud. The man even scored at the end of the game. And you know that he'll do the work for others around him. And the other part is that he doesn't make runs in behind, which means no five offsides. Just, just po- pointing that out there. Like, there's little things like that. Like you said, Barkley. Kovacic played again in Croatia. Or he was, like, coming off a knock. Like, why why put these guys who might be coming off a lot of traveling, who might be just recovering from a small knack? Like, you have other players who are playing well. Put them in at the beginning of the second half. Obviously, the first half wasn't working. You're already down two goals. You You need to turn up the heat. Like, there was nothing going for us until, like, halfway through the second half which for some reason seems like the one positive is that we still score with like 10 minutes left in the game. But mm-hmm. like there should have been changes earlier on in the game, which surprisingly is the first time I feel like I'm complaining about subs not coming in earlier under sorry, but this is the first time where the subs had to come because we were in such a bad position. So 
yeah, I guess this is still part of the learning curve and all that and the Premier League and all all the differences. But I also want to say, like, we have to remember that Sarri's done a hell of a job already here with the team. Yeah. So, like, take it – yes, we're talking about one specific match, but, like, in the bigger picture, I, I have little to no complaints of what's happened so far with the team. I just hope that this Jorginho getting removed essentially from the game doesn't come – to bite us in the ass when it's, you know, April and we're still maybe third or fourth fighting three other teams for the last Champions League spot. I think it's something that can be fixed, and I just hope that Sari kind of looks into this game a little more and, and really figures out a way out of it. Because Everton did the same exact thing. I mean, they basically shielded Jorginho for most of the match and, and didn't really allow him to play forward. Yes, they let him play with the ball at times, but most of his play was side to side. Um but you know, going back to your whole sorry thing, like like I said earlier, like I'm not knocking sorry. I'm not saying that he's, you know, he's not as great of a manager as as the Guardiola's and Mourinho's. Obviously, he's not as decorated, and his resume is not as good. Um, but I, I just feel like this is this is the test. I mean, this is this is do or die in the Premier League, right? If you can adapt and you can figure out ways to bypass other teams' traps. And and find ways to do that while exploiting the other team at the same time. I feel like that will solidify his spot as one of the great Premier League managers or one of the great Chelsea managers, even. But if he can't, it, we already saw it against Everton, against Everton, and now again against um, against Tottenham. I think if that if if the same thing happens against Fulham heading into next weekend, then that's time to hit the panic button. Because, for one, Spurs have been together for, what, five years? I think this team has already maxed out their potential. I mean, this is as good as that Spurs team is going to get. I think we could all agree on that. Um, the, the Everton side we played against was decent. Obviously, Marco Silva did a, did, did a decent job tactically. We talked about that on the podcast. But there is absolutely no excuse to play against the worst team in the Premier League at the bottom of the table um, in a West London derby. And, and and have the same problems. If we have those problems against Fulham, then we hit the panic button. But for now, I mean, like Andre said, it's still brand new. The system's still brand new. And sorry ball's not easy. It's it's kind of like rocket science in a way, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about like the, the the quality and the caliber of players we have. You know, these are league winners. These are people that have won trophies, international players and whatnot. Yet they're still finding it hard to to make that adaptation to the system. So that just goes to show how detailed and complicated this Sarismo style of play is. So, you know, uh, we have to see what happens next weekend. I'm very curious to see what he does with Jorginho. I'm curious to see what he does with N'Golo Conte. And I'm curious to see what he does with that third midfield slot. Are we going to keep playing Kovacic? Because I know this Andres is boy, but Kovacic is way too similar to Jorginho. He doesn't take enough risks. He plays a safe pass. And we need somebody that's going to be a little bit more direct, i.e. Ross Barkley or Ruben Loftus-Cheek, someone that could carry the ball forward and take more chances um, and, and almost be that number 10 when we're in possession as opposed to the second number 8. So uh, time will tell. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens against Fulham. I'm not worried personally. I think we're going to go to Ful- I think we're going to play Fulham and we're going to smash them um, because they're crap. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think this is Sarri's biggest test of, of his career. I, and, you know... Um, th- this will definitely be the make it or break it um, for him uh, as in terms of solidifying himself as one of the top managers in the Premier League. And hopefully the defending improves as well because it was a horrid, horrid, horrid performance by our defense in this game. Um, I mean, each goal was just exploiting a different weakness that we had. Uh, the first one, Dele Ali sneaking in be- uh, between Kovacic and Jorginho. Virtually unmarked for a set piece. Second goal. Which is such fucking bullshit, man. I mean, between those like, two guys, I mean, it, the, those are the, that's the worry that we have. Uh, but they're... here's the thing. Dele Alli scores a header against us every time we play Spurs. <laughs> Why are Kovacic and Jorginho marking him? There's – there's, it just it, – it drives me absolutely mad. Like, why isn't – I understand that 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 Luis and Rudiger have to be on, you know, the two biggest guys, probably Harry Kane and Eric Dyer, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, or, or uh, Alderweireld or whoever was playing center back. But, I mean, you 
we have to figure that out because if we don't have a center defensive mid, like we said, because Jorginho's playing there, and Golo Conte is not tall, he's not going to do shit for you on set pieces, <laughs> defending set pieces, but we have to find a solution for that. Maybe Aspi picks him up. I mean, he could still out-jump Aspi, but, I mean, good God. Kovacic and Jorginho were just standing there doing absolutely nothing. That was a goal that drove me crazy in this whole game. I'm sorry. I just went yeah. – it the, was just – it's so frustrating. The crazy thing is is that we're not man-marking. That's that's the whole thing it's with Sarri. It's zonal defending. marking. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's the frustrating part. Like, there's a lot of bodies moving, and if you're going to zone mark, you need to be hungry for that ball, like, wherever you are in that zone. And that's like you said, this kind of happened also earlier in the season. I think it was against Arsenal where uh, Luis got just caught ball watching and somebody beat him to a header front post. Like it's 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 not the first time this occurs. So like this zonal marking, I guess I guess it's part of Sari's system. But like, good lord, can we just focus on one thing at a time? Like, can we just still stick to man marking and and focus on the you know, the big possession aspect of it all first, get that down pat and then move on to that. Like, I feel like the only thing that we finally mastered, quote unquote mastered under sorry is, is offensive set pieces. So like, just, just put in work like little by little, like this is a marathon, not a sprint kind of thing. Like, you know, this week we're going to focus a little bit more on this. Like right now the focus should be obviously the Jorginho thing, but can we, yeah, just go back to man marking. Just go back to man marking. Please. See, this is where this is where having guys like Diego Costa would still come in handy because he was useful in defending set pieces. I mean, you were able to put Diego Costa on one of the bigger guys on the other team, and he was able to not necessarily stop him, but definitely disrupt him somehow. I mean, why is it? I mean, we have Aspi, we have Alonso. They could both defend. They could both defend a set piece in the air. We have Alvaro Morata, who should be able to to defend a set piece in the air. It's just. It's absolutely mind-blowing how poor the defending was on it. I mean, this whole zonal marking thing is just complete bullshit when you have a guy that delivers a perfect ball every single time in Christian Eriksen. Zonal marking does not work when you have an elite set-piece taker behind the ball. It just does not. And we've seen it with so many other Premier League teams. I mean, this is what Liverpool was doing last season, and that's why they're getting destroyed on set-pieces. It's just – it's it's such bullshit. It's such bullshit. I like what Andreas says about, you know, just focusing on one thing at a time and quote unquote mastering it one at a time, not, yeah. not just, you know, introducing all of it all at, all at once, you know, um, just to continue going through the goals set that second goal, Kane spinning in between the lines has an open shot. In my opinion, that was a savable shot, but maybe David Luis was, was guarding Keppa. He'd not, he'd even go for it. Maybe I'm sorry, not guarding him, but just blocking his view. Um, and then that the third goal was really just the catalyst. That one that really just made me just cr- cr- just crushed me. Alonso just completely out of position. Son beats Jorginho for pace, and Luis just comes in, misses a half-ass challenge. Uh, I mean, the, the, you couldn't even consider that a body feint from Son, barely a move. And uh, you know, just David Luis by himself, a fact that. Uh, stat that that was that's been talking that's been uh, spreading around the internet the past 24 hours he's uh made errors in seven of the 11 goals chelsea has conceded in the league this season um so uh if my if my math is correct that's 63 percent uh and i mean i don't just another fun tidbit david Luiz responding to an instagram post uh saying that he's also responsible for the 28 points uh, you know, leaders always take responsibility, no problem. <laughs> uh, but I like you know, that. pretty pretty funny. You know, I like I like that response. Uh, it it is kind of true, but it 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 is a stat. You know, that's just something to think about. Uh, I'm gonna start off with you, uh, Zach. H- how do we resolve this defensive issue? I mean, de- defending and sorry ball is a team thing, right? It's it's not necessarily built in sections like like a, a Jose Mourinho defensive team would be where he has two lines of or, or one bank of four in the back and then a bank of four right in front of it and two up top or whatever it's not like that I mean sorry ball is it's it, it's pressuring on those heavy touches winning the ball in the attacking third and then attacking and our other form of defending is through possession and in the matches where we dominated possession we really didn't concede that many chances but for some reason against the big teams, 
or against the teams that can that that can possess the ball as well and control the game like Liverpool, like Tottenham, and for periods of the match against Arsenal, we concede a lot of chances. Um, I think a big issue with that is the positioning of our left, our whole left side as a whole. It's not just Marcus Alonso. I think Eden Hazard could do more defensively. I mean, I know I sound like Jose Mourinho, but you know, there's 11 guys on the pitch. All 11 have to defend against a team as dangerous as Tottenham, um, especially with those uh, with those shorter counter attacks, if you will. Uh, Marcus Alonso's positioning on that third goal. I mean, you alluded to it. He was way out of position. Yes, that is supposed to be his starting position when we have the ball. But the problem is when we lose the ball. He can't get back quick enough. And David Luiz slides over, and he's probably the last person you want to be <laughs> to be in a one-on-one situation. Um, Kovacic just didn't look like himself that game. He was nowhere to be found. And see, my problem on that Sun goal was. If I'm Jorginho, why not kick the shit out of him like you did to Gilfie Sigurdsson last week? I mean, th- that's that's the time when you need to do it. Well, he also had, he had, a, he had, a, he had a bad foul earlier in that game. Right. Just, yeah, and could have used it. He could have definitely used it then. See, I, I I think the defending comes with confidence at the same time too, though. Like you know, again, we defend with the ball. That's the whole point of sorry ball. You 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 pass the other team to death. You basically lull them to sleep and then you hit them. Um, and, and without the ball, you can't defend because our back line is not strong enough to, uh, to kind of pack it in and, and, and be pragmatic, especially when the whole, when, when our left side is, you know, David Luiz and Marcus Alonso, um, who are, are both playing out of position, to be honest. I mean, David Luiz is only, is most useful in the back three, as we saw under Conte and Marcus Alonso is a wing back. So it, it all starts with possession. If we get that Jorginho thing figured out and we find a way to get Jorginho on the ball or someone else to possibly help him pull the strings, I think defensively we'll be a lot better off. Yeah, um, I I feel like we knew at the beginning of the season when we found out that Luis was starting that brain farts were coming. Like that's that's always been part of the game. So people that are acting shocked that this is happening, like come on, he's been overperforming. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is like, you know, okay, so Bench Luis is what people say. For some odd reason, Christensen does not work in a back two either. We thought he could, yeah. but he doesn't look anything like himself like when he was in the back three or when he was in Mönchengladbach, which was also a back three. So I feel like both those guys are primed to be Libros, like the free-roaming guy in the middle of a back three, and, and sadly we just don't have a partner that can match Rudiger. It doesn't help, like we mentioned, that Alonso is your left back and he can get caught out of position. And then in this play, it wasn't just Alonso. Kovacic wasn't there. So then you have uh, Jorginho, who's not supposed to do any defending, out on the wing versus Son, who has been hungry for his first goal. And shit, what a goal he got himself against Spurs, uh, against Chelsea. Like, it's a, a lot of moving pieces there. Um, I'm... I'm not going to jump to the gun and say, okay, get David Luis out of there. Cause in the games where we are possessing, he's really important. Like he's really important in those games where we are passing the ball like 700 times. Cause in the most, like after five minutes of just idly passing the ball, David Luis has that eye for that crazy pass that only three people in our whole roster can make. And he's one of them. So yes, he makes errors, but what is our alternative? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if, if if we have any alternatives at this point. Um, I think that, like what you said, a lot of a lot of our players are more beneficial to be playing in a three back system. Obviously, that's not the case here. Um, I mean, I, I think we're really missing a guy like Kurt Zuma right now, which would which would be a really awesome duo with Rudiger, I think, in my opinion. But I mean, I was thinking uh, Nathan Ake. Yeah, but Nathan, see, yeah, because yeah, I I don't think Zuma could cut it because he he's not really that great with the ball at his feet. But like Nathan Ake could do both. He he can defend one v one and he could also ping a pass. Yeah, that's and he's better. great in the air, offensively and defensively. So he's he can add goals there. A solid, proven Premier League player. Man, why did we sell him? <laughs> could someone explain to me why we sold him? There's a lot of. St- sales that i can't explain um the next part it's just the latest one to bite us in the ass isn't it the next the next our next part sorry go ahead yeah go ahead andres 
Oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I was just scoffing. Like, yeah, the, <laughs> the list is long. The list is long. Sorry would love Ake. Yeah. Sorry would absolutely love Nathan Ake. We have first uh, – we have that buyback clause if we want to activate 40 million. Allegedly. Just, uh, Do it. Fuck Rugani. Let's go after Nathan Ake. He's also cheap. a homegrown player. Exactly. Man. Ugh, man. You, you made the case to me. Hopefully the board's listening. So I'm going <laughs> to skip – I'm going to skip this Murata versus Giroux topic because it's just been overplayed too much. And I think everyone knows what our answer is going to be. But I, I do want to know uh, just the front three as a whole. Um, obviously, left wing is pretty much solidified as Eden Hazard. Um, unless one of you guys suggest him playing in the false nine, which I don't think any of you guys would fully endorse. But what's our best front three in these type of matches? Who's going to start at the nine? Who's going to start our right wing? I'll start off with you, Andreas. What do you think? Um, I think, it, like I said, I think it's got to be Pedro and Giroud, um, especially when you're lacking this possession, making that run in behind with Pedro, or if you need to ping it long sometimes to get just pressure off. Giroud wins every header, man. Like He's just always around it. I would think them too. Um, if we actually start trying to mess with a false nine, that might be an extra guy that can drop into midfield to go get possession. I, I just thought about that. So maybe Sari's still flirting with that idea and, and trying to maybe get, I don't know, William or Pedro in that role to where they can kind of show for the ball and, and get an extra body in those spaces to get possession out of the back. But yeah, in these games, if we stick to the way we've been playing, I want it to be Giroud and, and Pedro alongside Hazard. Pedro's perfect for the system. I don't know how many times I've said it on the podcast that like he, he, he played in a similar system under Pep when he was at Barca. And, he, and, and, and that ultimately got him a starting spot on Spain's World Cup squad. Like I don't understand why a guy who's as decorated as Pedro is sitting on the bench. It, 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 it makes zero sense to me. He can shoot with both feet. He can shoot from anywhere. And he gets himself into goal-scoring positions. Then he got a guy like Ali Giroud who's virtually the perfect complement for him because Pedro thrives when there's space for him to run into or space for him to drop off into. And Giroud provides that. When Giroud drops in deep, that provides a space for Pedro to run into. And when Giroud's holding up the ball, it allows Pedro to drop in behind him to collect and have a pop at goal like we've seen so many times. It's the best combo that we have. I don't want to see Alvaro Morata start another big game. He's let everybody down way too many times, and I know he's having these, these, uh, or, or or this, uh, this, this mental health issue where you know he's struggling to get his head right. And like I feel for him. Trust me, I get it. I I can sympathize with that. That's not my problem. My problem is this is professional football. I mean you you got to go out there and, and, and provide the goods. And if you're not, then maybe having a little hiatus on the bench might help to get your head straight. This is, this is on retail. Sorry. I mean, for me and, and, and I know for you too, Andres, it's not a tough decision to make. So it's just a matter of him making the fucking decision. I, I, I don't know. It, I, I'm just, I'm over, I'm over Murata, and I'm over Willian playing on the right wing. I think Willian should only really come in as a, as a sub on the right wing, or if Hazard, God forbid, gets injured, or if Hazard moves at a false nine, then Willian's perfect for the left wing because that's his natural position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and again, I, I think we've agreed on this too. Like, I feel like Willian's best performances have come off the bench. But hey, we don't get paid millions to do this. Uh, we don't have the pressure of a board who paid seventy million for a certain Spanish striker. There's a lot of things that happen in the background, but yeah, I I find it hard to to not play Giroud and Pedro if this is my team sheet to choose. We have to remember that this isn't Sari's team either, right? Like he's only had I, mean, I don't even think he's had a transfer window technically because he just because he came in so late. Mm-hmm. But you know, once he gets a couple of transfer windows under his belt, brings in a few players that he trusts, some of his other deputies, you know, like there's talk about Hisai coming in from from Napoli. Um, another one, uh, another one of Sari's disciples who gets it, who understands the system. I mean, maybe he could help shore up the back line. Um, it, it, there's, there's other players out there that Sari has identified as people that will fit into his system or people that he has a vision for. And it's really hard to tell. I mean, I, I don't even think it's that hard to tell that he doesn't really have much of a vision for Willian 
as long as Hazard's still in the team, right? I mean, he's tried to fit him in on that right wing, and it's just not coming off. And I think last game was just I, – I, I feel like it's the final straw for him because the second Pedro came on, I mean, he just – he provides this instant spark, this instant energy, and, and, he, and he provides the goods in big matches. So, I mean, we'll see. I give it a couple transfer windows. It's early days. I'm not freaking out about the team. I still think we're going to do great. I still think we're going to finish in a Champions League spot. But now maybe all the Chelsea Twitter warriors will stop assuming that we're going to win the that we're going to win the league because we went on this 12 game unbeaten run. Like no, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, it's not going to happen. We drew against West Ham, we drew against uh uh, uh Everton and now we lost against uh against um Tottenham. So like, you know, it's it's not all rainbows and butterflies like people were painting it out to be and now if you go on Twitter, it sounds like the world is ending. Look, it's right in between. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's sort of a we have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, um there's 30 plus games in a season. So, as long as we fix it and we work off of this, it's good. Like it's going to be fine. But one final thing I want to say about the Tottenham game and and I'm kind of it's kind of weird to talk about a goalkeeper when he gives in he let, like lets in three goals, but I thought Kepa was fantastic. Um the goal against Dele Alli, like you have to have like even quicker than lightning reflexes for that. Then it doesn't help in the second goal where your defender jumps out of the way and you can't see the shot. Yes, Kepa probably could have dove, but again, it, it seems like David Luiz jumped out of the way and he's like, oh crap, a shot kind of came in. And then the third one, it was point blank. But if it wasn't for Kepa, this game could have been ugly. Like as much as 3-1 isn't, the most pretty result like this game could have gotten way out of hand and I also really really like the fire that Kepa showed like he actually was like yelling at his players like commanding orders like essentially bitching at them for not doing their job and and that's so important from a goalkeeper like I'm glad he's not just passive like yes it's a little different that we don't have a goalkeeper who loves to find the press and talk to them after every game and maybe like people thought Kepa doesn't talk but after watching that I'm just I'm just glad we paid the big bucks to get that guy on our team. You know, I, for me, I just, you know, I want, I just want to reemphasize what I said earlier that this, that we, we, I think Chelsea fans were a little bit spoiled this season with that long undefeated streak, um, especially when I think most of our expectations were not that high, um, given that we were adjusting to a new system uh, and what happened last season. It's, it's a, it's going to be okay. I think that we have two uh, fixtures this season. I mean, sorry, this week that are very favorable to us as far as timing, um, just getting back on track and, you know, being able to get back into the, the winning ways that we've seen this season, you know, but I, I, it's, it's, it's still, it's still a work in progress. And although I just, I, I really wish we could have been the Spurs uh, it's, it's, it's something that I can live with, but I'm glad we're done talking about it. I'd like to never talk about it ever again. Um, if, if you guys could agree to that and then, Oh yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, st- we'll get into our quick thoughts section right now. If, uh, if you guys are, yes, please. Yeah. Great. Okay. I'm glad we're Emph- on the same emphasis, page. Emphasis on the quick, quick thoughts. Yeah. We'll, we'll go through that pretty quickly. So, um, obviously, uh, we got our super fan, number one, super fan, Chelsea Eric um, with a question. He asks, what do you guys think of Sari knowing exactly what the Spurs were going to do and changing nothing? Was that loss on the players or on the manager? I'll start off with you, Andreas. What do you think? Um, well, Sari did come out and say after the game that he totally did not expect the 4-3-1-2, so he Sorry, didn't. Chelsea, but Eric. But in the second half, he could have. Like Tottenham didn't change a thing, so... I think that a lot goes into the manager because he prepared for this match. But yeah, I, I, I would put it down to the tactics on this one. But the players also did not match the Spurs players' intensity. So I, I give it 60-40 with Sari taking the 60% on this one. Um, all right. Well, next question. At Nick Lenartson asks, will Marat be part of a potential signing or will Sari try to wake him up? Zach, what do you think? Oh God, let's hope he becomes part of a potential signing. I just, I just want to start from scratch. I want to get rid of him. Farewell, say la vie, have a nice life. 
Hope you score a lot of goals at your new club and get your head straight. I mean, like, look, like we're all rooting for him, right? I mean, he's wearing a Chelsea shirt. I want him to score goals, but Sarri has tried to wake him up, and he can't seem to do that. So I think it's time to cut our losses. I mean, it's a year and a half in, and we still haven't seen a consistent run of games from him. So let's cut ties as soon as possible, please. That would be great. Uh, next question from at Benevolent Bono. Uh, should this what be, a name. Yeah. <laughs> should this be uh, the end of Willian and Luis at Chelsea? Wow. No reaction if I've ever heard it. Andreas. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to give a shout out to first off Aiden because Benevolent Bono, also known as Aiden, has been a huge follower of mine from the beginning hey. with uh, Star Spangled Blue. So shout out to him. Um, so I think Louise, more so than William, has more to do here. I think Louise is a vocal leader in the team, and in times of change and things like that, that's very important. William, I think, can be a great asset for a player plus cash deal to get some maybe left-footed right wingers in this squad. So I see Louise outlasting William if, um, yeah, I just see him outlasting William just based on the positions they play. Damn. Sorry, sorry, and uh, Louise also have this bromance going on too. So I, I think that has a lot to do with Louise probably staying a bit longer than William will. Yeah. And plus, w- wingers, wingers post thirty aren't a, uh, aren't uh, the greatest thing to yeah, have in da- your squad. The hair that Sorry lacks, David Louise has on his head. They complete <laughs> each other. <laughs> Maybe that's why he likes him so much, but. Damn, crazy to think that this is the last time we'll see those two in a Chelsea jersey, according to Benevolent Bono. Um, so, or Aiden. <laughs> Zach, this, uh, I'm going to ask you this last question, and then the next two we'll, uh, we'll both, we'll, all three of us will answer. Uh, this is from at Black Emoji. Uh, okay. <laughs> how do you guys, <laughs> Zach, how do you recover from a massive loss? By a massive win. Um, look, nice. the, the, the thing is you could only really play who's in front of you, right? And fortunately for us, we have the worst team in the Premier League in our next league match. So us going out there and just spanking them um, in their own backyard at the bridge would be absolutely lovely. So the best way to recover from a loss is to win games. And if we could get back on track, that'd be great. Um, and then these last two points, uh, Andreas, I'll start off with you and Zach. You can also answer uh, and Golo Conte f- officially agrees to the five-year extension, paying him a very modest 290 pounds per week. Um, Andreas, thoughts, quick thoughts. So this was the greatest way to start my Thanksgiving weekend. Um, <laughs> I'm so grateful. Just for it to get all spoiled on Saturday. I think that it's extremely deserved. I think Conte is fantastic. He can play box-to-box. He can play. He's the best defensive mid in the world. I think this is a no-brainer. Zach, quick thought. If only all my ex-girlfriends were as loyal as N'Golo Conte. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. My 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 quick reaction to that is, duh. Uh, so, <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, very, very big moment. Didier Drogba officially retires from professional football. Uh, I'm going to – my question is, what is your favorite – Didier Drogba moment. Zach, I'll start off with you. The Champions League final. Shocker. It has to be the Champions League which, final. Which which moment? Is it was it the equalizing goal or was it the the clinching penalty? Well, you tell me which one I was more thrilled about, Zom, because you were there at the moment. <laughs> uh, I think you you took your shirt off for both of them, so I can't really decide. Which one. <laughs> Which one, you know, it's so, pretty hard to tell which one you were more excited about. So, so I guess, I guess the the moment that just kind of encompasses his career perfectly um, is that penalty that that won us the Champions League because I could not pick any other player on the planet to take that penalty at that time. Like there was nobody I trusted more on planet Earth that would smash that penalty past the best goalkeeper in the world at the time in Manuel Neuer. So. Yeah, Didier Drogba, man, that that was just absolutely unbelievable, and I'm so glad that we got to see that. So thankful um, for that. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, honestly, that was great. But Andreas, yeah, I mean, j- just one more thing on Didier Drogba. He is my favorite player of all time, 
So I just want to put that out there that like this is this one hurts, man. It's sad to see him finally hang up the boots, but you know, I don't I don't really want to see him wearing uh I I don't really want to see him playing football without the ponytail anyways. So, you know, I I guess it's about time. True. Andreas, what about you? Yeah. Before I go into mine, obviously it would have been the Champions League, but I got to pick something a little different. I also have to add that the Champions League was on my prom night and being late to prom pictures was totally worth it because I got to rub <laughs> in the victory. I got to rub in the victory on my father's face, who is a lifetime Bayern fan. So <laughs> it was amazing. Plus, obviously broke up with that girl anyway. So the Champions League <laughs> will stay with me forever. Thank you, Drogba. But I think the biggest thing for me was um, Drogba's second stint at Chelsea, uh, 2014-15. He's back with us. Um, we have, I believe it was against Crystal Palace. And, uh, gosh, Hazard had already scored the PK to clinch it. And Drogba came on. He, he had started that game. And when he got subbed off, instead of just jogging off, the players actually like got all around him and carried him off the field. Like You could tell that that was not planned by Drogba like he was just so happy and the players were just you know showing the king a king's exit so it was just amazing to see that moment play out in front of me and and just yeah that was beautiful uh for me my I mean obviously Champions League has to be number one uh the win but another huge moment was uh was in 2009 and I think it was the semis or something when uh Drogba exposed Barcelona for the cheaters that they are and uh, completely called out uh, the the referee for a bogus, bogus, bogus match uh, that he called, you know, getting getting a red card or I think it was at the end of the match. Um, he walks off the pitch, looks at the camera. It's a disgrace. It's a fucking disgrace. Uh, and that was just that was awesome. I mean, I obviously I would I would hope that my favorite my favorite uh, moment of his was you know should have came off a win but that was such an awesome moment I think like I I really you know I love that just shows the kind of character that Drogba has um, you know he doesn't take any shit from anyone and you know he he's the ultimate ultimate Arsenal killer um, in 15 matches the he ultimate, the 15 ultimate 15 goals uh, sorry go ahead yeah. The the ultimate striker for any trip to Wembley as well. True, yeah. So uh, yeah, fifteen in fifteen matches against Arsenal, fifteen goals. So he was always up and ready for that, you know, for that kind of derby. So I just really appreciate everything that he's done. Obviously, when I when I started becoming a Chelsea fan, he was he was uh you know coming into his own, and I really you know he 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 grew into being one of the greatest soccer play, one of the greatest strikers, and probably the best if not, you know, top three Chelsea players of all time. And, you know, I grew with me as, as, as a Chelsea fan as well. So really, really tough uh, retirement. So that's the end of our quick thoughts section. Uh, I I don't know. We we can say something quickly about this Chelsea PAOK Europa League match. I don't. Yeah. Think, I think we can. We can really we can just skip go ahead it. and. But the only thing is go to ahead mention, and give our predictions. Yeah, the only thing to mention is that if we win, we lock up the first spot. So, um, I mean, does anyone think that it, like is there any cause for concern in this match, or is everyone predicting a win? No, I think it's. Uh, I think we it's, should win, yeah. <laughs> especially after this weekend. Yeah, I'm going. Go ahead, I'm going to go three 0 Chelsea. I think Ruben Loftus Cheek gets a goal and Callum Hudson Odoi gets at least twenty more minutes. <laughs> so that's the that's our that's going to be all of our bold predictions for the rest of Europa League that RLC will <laughs> score and we'll see Cho. <laughs> just just, be just to put it out there, um, Andreas, any does your prediction? Are you going to one up them? Go four 0 After this weekend, we better do more than 3-0. I hope that we can come out and get four at least. I want to see a hungry Chelsea. I want to see someone that's just ready, like, out for blood. So hopefully it's both with Pauk and Fulham, but Pauk is the nearest match, so I'm hoping it's it's a thrashing. All right, so let's get into this this Premier League matchup against Fulham. It's been a while since we've uh, had a derby with them, but um, they're always great matches. Uh, 
It's usually a little bit more exciting when Fulham is competing, but right now they're sitting dead last in the Premier League with only eight points. Uh, Ranieri recently brought up to replace uh, Jokanovic, so he's won his, he won his first match 3-2 at home against, uh, to Southampton, so it's always great to see um, a team like that make a, an adjustment after they get a new manager. So let's just uh, quickly go through Zach. Uh, I'll start off with you. What's something that we should watch out for for this match? Oh, they're uh, they're big name summer signing, or actually three of them, all three of them. So uh, they they signed a guy who was linked with Chelsea and John Michael Seri, who's their midfield maestro. I mean, that guy pulls the strings. He makes things happen. And I, I actually watched a little bit of Fulham's last match against Southampton, and they they came out with a four two three one, and Sari was uh, Sari and Tom Kearney were the ones that were pulling the strings in the midfield, spraying the ball out wide to uh to Sessegnon and 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 Andre Sherla and and uh and they would they would play balls into Mitrovic whether it was whether it was to his feet or his head. I mean Mitrovic is like that prototypical um, target man, that old school number nine, if you will. Um, seven goals in his last 13 appearances for Mitrovic. Sherla has five in his last 13. Um, it's uh, it's th- th- those guys are hot. I mean, we know what Sherla could do. He was one. He was another signing that was hard to see leave, but um, Mitrovic is never easy to uh, to compete with because of his physicality. But um, you know, th- there is this new manager syndrome that these teams have. So obviously, they won their first game, and you got a manager like Ranieri, someone that's won the Premier League. Um, someone that knows how to play, how to fight against the odds, and set up a team to just kind of dig in and 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 play their hardest. So yeah, I mean, I guess those are the things I'm looking out for. Um, I, I don't know if Andres has anything else to add. Um, I mean, yeah, Sherlock's got five in the last thirteen, but you got, he's got like Russell Westbrook number stats where like the guy's scoring, but you have to see how many ridiculous shots he's taking. Yeah. So if I have to pick a poison, I'd say stick to like not letting Mitrovic have an ounce of space and kind of give Sherla that space. Like he's going to send a bunch to the second level, not really too worried about him, but you mentioned it like Arnieri's a new manager. Anytime a team gets a new manager, they suddenly like are a brand new team. And so I, I don't know. I think, I, I think Ranieri's going to sit back. I don't know if he'll actually do the whole pressing high and, and try to, you know, force us to, you know, force the issue in our third of the field. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think that's up Ranieri's sleeve. Like he, that's not his style. So I don't know. I think, I think we should win regardless of the new manager syndrome and, and Mitrovic's form. But yeah, it's, it's a surprise. I mean, we, we have nothing to, to kind of work on except for this past weekend. And combining that, 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 that factor, that's a new manager with the fact that it's, you know, West London Derby, uh, I just really hope we don't get caught off guard, um, you know, on against a team that's really up to play. And, you know, I mean, we've played four. Chelsea's played four London derbies so far. Uh, two wins, one draw, one loss. So uh, this one, it, it should it should be a win. I, I I mean, if anything, if it's anything other than a win, it's, it's going to be complete disappointment. But um, Zach... Uh, alluding into that do you have any predictions what is your prediction what's your hot take even though they conceded the most goals in the premier league so far this season i don't think it's going to be a high scoring game like you like uh andre said i think ronieri is going to sit back he's going to be pragmatic he's going to pack it in he's basically going to try and pull a lester that four four two two up top probably going to be sherla and mitrovic and sesenyan's going to be the mares and Sari's going to be drink water, and Tom Kearney is going to be that N'Golo Kante type character. So um, I'm going to go Chelsea 2-0, and I think uh, Marcus Alonso will shut all the haters up because he'll score a free kick. Man, I, I can't disagree with Zach on this one. I think it'll go 2-0. Um, I think Hazard's going to get back on the score sheet. It's been a bit since he last scored for us, so I think he's going to try to to get himself back up there with Obama Yang and Aguero in the top of the scorers chart for the Premier League. I'd like to see uh, a Ross Barkley a start in this match. Obviously, that's my boy. Um, and I do predict that he's going to score a goal this match, and I think we're going to win it 3-0. Um, I think that their defense is just 
um, unmendable at this time. Uh, you know, even with the addition of a new of a new manager, I think that you know some that that's a problem that can't be fixed in two weeks. Um, two so. two two words to sort up Fulham's defensive issues: Tim Ream. I thought you were going to use it's shit. I thought the two words were going to be it's shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's just a joke. I mean, all our American listeners will understand. But yeah, t- Tim Ream's a crap American footballer, <laughs> for those of you that are wondering. <laughs> Thanks for explaining it, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, that uh, that pretty much wraps up today's episode. So, guys, we got through it. We talked about Spurs. We aired out our grievances. We have looked forward to the future that seems much brighter than uh, than the last week was. Um, but uh, until next week, hopefully we get three more points against PAOK, lock up that Europa League spot, and back to winning ways in the Premier League. No better way to do that than a West London derby, um, especially when it's at the bridge. So uh, it's a pleasure as always, guys. And uh, Wait, until also, next episode... Also... Uh, follow us on Twitter at Roman's Empire Pod. Nice on Twitter. Plug some plugs. Uh, and, uh, yeah, nice it's, plug. it's, it's, it's we're we're struggling getting that new follower rate. So if you're not following us already, what's what's wrong with you? I mean, you're already listening to us. You might as well read us as you, well on Twitter. And I'm sure everyone has one friend, maybe two, maybe ten that don't follow us. Come on, help help some guys out. Show your friends. Our yeah, podcast. come on. You guys have more than two friends. Prove that you have friends. Or we'll find you. No, I'm just uh, kidding. Okay. We probably won't. Dude, we have like I, – I saw a couple of weeks ago we had listeners in like Zimbabwe. We had a one listen in Zimbabwe, which was crazy to me. That's my guy. But yeah. Uh, I don't Shout know how much plane Zimbabwe. tickets in Zimbabwe are. But Chelsea yeah. is a worldwide club. I love it. It is, baby. It is. And so is the Romans Empire podcast. Um, we will see you guys next week. And until then, as always – Keep the blue flag flying high.